one time in particular, I was in a department meeting and I forget exactly what we were talking about, but one of the teachers sitting across from me very visibly kind of rolled his eyes while I was talking and was kind of nudging his his friend, one of my other colleagues, and kind of they were making fun of what I was saying. It was something, you know, it was kind of sharing my opinion, sharing enthusiasm, providing suggestions of new or different things we could do. It was like a gut punch to kind of see someone, not only that's older and more experienced and respected in the department, to react that way to you, but also to feel like something I was so excited about and kind of proposing a new idea was just so confronted in that way. In this episode, you'll meet Alyssa and Megan, founders of Pop PD and hosts of the Extracurricular Podcast. We chat about why we think forward-thinking educators like you are going to change the future of education, how we've had to deal with pushback from our colleagues, and we share our favorite time-saving strategy for teachers, which is using ChatGPT. Stay tuned for more exciting discussion on the Extracurricular Podcast. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. Welcome to the Extracurricular Podcast. I am so excited to be here. I have not podcasted in a really long time, but and now I have Megan with me. So yay. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited. So we are doing a new podcast that we're calling Extracurricular, which will not usually feature Megan and I. It'll usually feature a teacher who's in the classroom, boots on the ground, sharing strategies. But for our first episode, we thought we would just kind of chat through what this podcast is all about, who it's for, and the types of things that we'll be talking about on this podcast. So Megan, I would love to dive in by talking about how we chose this name that we absolutely love called Extracurricular. We just thought that was so clever after hours of trying to think of the best name. Can you explain a little bit about the name and why we went with this Extracurricular? After You mean after hours of searching for what the name that we thought felt right for this? Embarrassingly long time. Yeah, embarrassingly amount of time. You're right. I think that for us, we landed on this really because there's so many extra things that teachers do in their jobs, right? Beyond just the actual teaching. But then usually that's kind of seen as a negative thing. But there's also this sense of extra being the excitement of it all. And that like part of, there are so many teachers out there, and you and I both identified as this kind of teacher when we were in the classroom, doing extra because you're excited, because you're passionate, because you want to explore more and kind of learn and be a better teacher as you go forward. So I think it's like this idea of being not only willing, but like excited about being reflective and thoughtful about all the kind of tools and ideas and strategies out there available to you, whether or not it's easy to access, you're motivated and excited about figuring those things out. And just something gets you extra excited about being extra as a teacher and going out and finding those things. How many times can we use the word extra to describe things in this podcast? I think what's interesting that you said there is like, we're expected as teachers to do so much extra, but if those expectations were lightened a bit of these other extra things that actually don't matter, that actually aren't helping our kids, if they would just, if we could lighten that burden a bit, then we could have more time to do the extra things that we actually really like to do because we're excited and passionate and problem solvers and creatives, really. Like we ultimately, all of us who went into education 
probably have a little bit of that creative spark where we like to express ourselves through teaching and really see the light bulbs come on with kids. And we're just constantly trying to make that happen. We use the term when we're talking about planning this podcast and thinking about who it's for, we used the term forward-thinking educator. We actually started with the word innovative, which I think is an interesting conversation of like the difference between the two. But we landed on forward-thinking because it's not about being innovative in that you're constantly trying to change because you want to keep what works in the classroom. But it's about this like always reflecting and then using that reflection to propel yourself forward and see what are other teachers doing that I could possibly be doing in my own classroom or try with my kids. And he's just like always thinking about how to improve. And I think that's the type of teacher that we're creating this podcast for and also creating our platform Pop PD for is that real forward-thinking educator. How do you think about forward-thinking educators? Yeah, I agree with what you said there. And I think for me, it really comes down to forward thinking, even kind of just beyond what teachers have to do, which is always, how am I going to make the next class great? How am I going to make tomorrow great? I think forward thinking teachers are really thinking about the month, the year, and their careers. Like they're thinking about how can I craft an experience for a student within my class throughout the whole year, but then how can I also kind of develop as a teacher who has this excellent practice that I feel good about, not only for my students, but also for myself. Because I think a lot of that excitement and exploration that happens for teachers who are extra is very like self-motivated. And I know, at least in my own experience, I was just so curious and wanting to refine my own craft for myself too. Like I had students who were motivating me and who, you know, inspired me to be better. But a lot of it was I was almost competitive with myself or wanting to kind of refine my own craft and find my way through through trying to explore and, and see other strategies out there that I could use to get better. As you said, there's an element of creativity in there. For sure. I remember I have like this picture just kind of ingrained in my mind of myself walking. I had the longest walk down the hallway to leave school. My classroom was the furthest from the exit. And so I just imagine myself sort of like walking down that hallway at the end of the day. And it was like on the days where I tried a new idea or I had really planned this cool lesson that I like found online and I was like putting my own spin on it, I left feeling like satisfied, even if it didn't work. It was like exciting and satisfying and I'm excited about the next day. Or if I had something I was trying the next day, I was excited to drive into school that morning. In contrast, there were plenty of days where I cried in the parking lot. There were plenty of days where I cried walking out the door. Like for sure, it didn't always work. But on the days where I had something in my pocket that I had learned from another teacher, or I had like maybe gone in and, and observed one of my colleagues teaching and I came up with this strategy, like just lit me up and helped with my morale. And I think that's our hope for this podcast is that you will hear from an educator who's using some cool strategies in the classroom which is not us, by the way. Neither of us have been in the classroom in a few years. We did teach for a long time, but we really are interested to hear what our classroom teachers doing now in the classroom that you can take and use so that you feel that boost of morale. So you feel like you have a community and a place to go for these strategies. So we hope that you're going to love that. I would love to dig in a little more though, because when for both of us, and part of the reason we bonded so quickly when we met is that we both considered ourselves forward-thinking teachers during our teaching career before we switched over to this world of ed tech. That story we'll tell a different day. But when you were teaching and you considered yourself forward-thinking, was there a time, I know this happened for me, but like, was there ever a time when 
someone kind of like shot you down for that because there is a lot of stigma around being a forward-thinking educator, often from our colleagues of like, it's too extra. It's too much. Going above and beyond is just too much. And so there is this balance of like, obviously you want to have boundaries. You don't need to be the last car in the parking lot, but it's okay to be willing to try new and trendy and different things. And sometimes there's some stigma around that. So I'm wondering if you ever encountered that and how did you kind of manage that feeling? Absolutely. And I think that it's important to acknowledge first, like where that kind of comes from, which is back to what the point we made earlier, which is like teachers are asked to do a lot. And so not every teacher is necessarily going to always be excited about researching or finding new strategies. And and that's okay. But I think for those of us who are excited about it, there is some of that resistance because teachers are tired. They're overworked. There's a lot going on. But for those of us who feel lit up and inspired by that kind of sitting on Twitter or finding resources or connecting with somebody online about, you know, new forward-thinking strategies, that is kind of what helps you continue going. That helps keep those moments of crying in the car, which I certainly had as well. (laughs) That kind of keeps you going to the next point. For me, I definitely experienced that. I had, I was in high school for a number of years, so I started my career. I was in a pretty big department, a uh, pretty big school. I was an English teacher and there were about 20 of us in an apartment. And there was an interesting mix of people in that apartment. I was the youngest and you know newest teacher for the first couple of years, the youngest by far, actually. And I met some great people who were very supportive and some people who were similar in kind of their being forward thinking. But there were also a number of people who were very experienced um, and very strong teachers, but who definitely had an attitude that kind of suppressed that extra in me. I mean, one time in particular, I, I was in a department meeting and I forget exactly what we were talking about, but the one of the teachers sitting across from me very visibly kind of rolled his eyes while I was talking and was kind of nudging his his friend, one of my other colleagues, and kind of they were making fun of what I was saying. And it was something, you know, it was kind of sharing my opinion, sharing enthusiasm, providing suggestions of new or different things we could do. And it was like a gut punch to kind of see someone, not only that's older and more experienced and respected in the department to react that way to you, but also to feel like something I was so excited about and kind of proposing a new idea was just so, you know, confronted in that way. So it's something I'll kind of always remember. And it it was upsetting in the moment. And it's honestly still kind of upsetting now to think about, but it's like, that was the kind of stuff that kept me going in being able to like, look for new, exciting ideas and, and try new things out and feel like I had something to contribute and offer even though I wasn't super experienced at that time. I think that was probably in my second or third year of teaching. So yeah, I think there there is sometimes that resistance of other teachers in, in your building, even if they're wonderful teachers, even if you might be friends with them, but there's kind of a certain quality that comes along with being a forward-thinking teacher and really having that that spark within you where you want to explore things. It's so hard because I think being forward thinking and like how much you're living into the the spirit of that has to do with the stage you are in life and in your career. As you explained it earlier, like in the beginning of my career, I didn't have any kids. I was definitely like in it. I was trying new strategies every day. I was super excited. And then as of course I had kids, that had to dwindle. I had to start managing my time. And there were lots of days where I felt just like a terrible teacher and a terrible mom. And I just felt like I couldn't be good at anything. That's okay. It's okay. It comes in waves. But I guess the point of this podcast is to say that if you get excited about trying new things, new strategies in your classroom, we hope this will be a space where you feel safe and can also share in that excitement with others. And I would love to ask the people who we interview on this podcast, I would love to ask that same question to them. Like, Have you ever felt 
a dent in your spirit from somebody kind of not resonating with the fact that you want to try new things. And I also get, I taught for 13 or 14 years. I was almost, I would say at the 10 year mark, maybe this had to do with the life stage I was in, but I did hit a wall of, I did see enough of teaching come back around Mm. that it was a bit of an eye roll for me where it was like, wait, and you know, that up and down of teaching strategies, right? It's like, one year, we're going to try this. We're going to go all in. And, and my administrator is going to tell me, this is the newest thing you've got to try. And then, you know, five years later, we're throwing that out and starting new. So that can be frustrating. And I was on like the side of, I had been through and seen enough strategy change that it would be frustrating when someone would bring something up. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've already tried that. But it's about connecting with people who continue to push you to reflect and think and try, even when you're like, oh, I've been there, done that because it's in lifting our spirits in that way that we can start to bring our morale back and remember why we love this job and why we're here in the first place. But there has to be that evolution throughout your career of like being able to try new things. Otherwise it's going to feel, at least for me, you know, stagnant and tough to get through the days at a certain time. So we know a lot of teachers are at that point and we totally acknowledge that and really excited to hear the perspectives of, of teachers who are implementing strategies and also balancing life and also dealing with some of these tricky parts too. Yeah. I think the point you make about that kind of cyclical nature or that those, the idea that there are ups and downs, I think is true on a big level, like throughout your career, definitely how you feel and act as a young teacher, as a new teacher, as a teacher without your own children or whatever kind of phase of life you are in. We all go through different phases and seasons. And I think that that's very true, especially in teaching a job that is is very personal. Like there's, you bring a lot of yourself when, into the classroom, I think. And especially us teachers who are, you know, so passionate about what we do. And I think that you kind of have to accept that there are going to be those ups and downs. So I think it's good that you, you kind of acknowledge that, that you might not always, always feel that extra push, but that little spark will kind of come and go at times and to really be able to embrace it and have it lend to your teaching and feel accepted and welcome for that and excited, I think is, is, is kind of the space that we're hoping to create here. And then you never know when something totally new is going to come around, like the pandemic. Right. I was in my eighth, ninth year of teaching when the pandemic hit and I was teaching high school or college freshmen by that time. And it was all of a sudden like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) this is new, right? Like, like, and then it's kind of, how can I draw on previous strategies that have been successful, but also this is a totally different circumstance. And how can I maybe use the dynamic and flexible teaching style I've tried to cultivate by being this extra teacher? How can I maybe use that to my advantage in this situation and do something that's great for my students and try and like react really quickly And then also talk to my friends who are teaching, talk to my colleagues, talk to people who are kind of doing the same thing and help each other figure it out. Yeah. The problem is, I think uh, it depends on what school you're in, whether you have access to colleagues who are going to support you through times like that versus people who are going to kind of bring you down or, or pull you into a negativity spiral. And so I hope that this podcast can be a place where people can find some connection and just find those like-minded people to lean on, especially in times of change. Because I think we educators need that for sure. And that's some, that's why we got into the ed tech space because we wanted to support educators, help them find community in one another. And that's the mission we're kind of working toward in the background. And we hope to provide that place here on the podcast. And I think too, being extra doesn't always mean like we've talked a lot about trying new strategies or trying trends or like trying something new and fresh, but it doesn't always mean 
like doing some, like reinventing the wheel. I think that's an important distinction to make. It also means like reflecting and just being aware and having these conversations and discussions and being open and flexible to hear different perspectives and consider that when you're in the classroom. And so one thing we had kind of talked about, we were talking before the podcast about, have you ever had a time where somebody kind of pushed back on something that you were trying to do, a strategy you were trying, and it really made you think. And so we've been posting a lot on our Pop PD platforms about AI and chat GPT. And a lot of that is because I am a nerd and I am obsessed with how chat GPT can help me in all aspects of my life. Also in working in ed tech, I've just gotten really interested in the tech behind it and how it works. And so I've been running some some sort of like little workshops on what is ChatGPT and how can it help you. And just to give you, if, if you're not familiar as we launch into this story, ChatGPT is basically a tool that you can use that's powered by machine learning. And so it can help you with all different language-based tasks. It kind of works like if you've ever been on your phone and done the predictable, the predictive text, mm-hmm. so you like start typing something and then it predicts what you might want to say next. It's like that, but it actually has a brain. I'm going to do air quotes there, a brain. So instead of just randomly trying to understand what you might want to say next, it actually has context to place that in. And so it comes up with a more intelligent output. So you create an input, you put your let's say you want to do feedback on student report card and you're trying to say like, this student really needs to work on their math facts. That was something I always had to put in as a fifth grade teacher. The chat GPT model has some context there and then you can give it some context. So you could say, hey, you are, you don't have to say, hey, but I would treat it like a chat bot. You are- If you want to. Hey, hey there, what's going on? Yeah. I always feel like I have to say like, please and thank you. Yeah, you're very polite. But you could say, I'm trying to write, I'm a teacher, you're my assistant. I'm trying to write a report card comment about working on your math facts. And this particular student has been putting in a lot of effort, but is not seeing like the patterns within the math facts. So actually they need to go back and practice with manipulatives or something like that. I can kind of list that out. I can have ChatGPT then will give me a report card comment written nicely. In fact, I should just do it while we're on the podcast right now. It'll give it to me kind of written nicely. And then what it can do is it can give your writing a certain tone, which I think is often difficult, especially in teaching, to kind of like nuance your feedback with a specific tone. So uh, let's see, I'm going to put, you're helping me write report cards. Sorry for the typing comments for my a fifth grade student. This student needs to, to work on math facts using manipulatives, is putting in good effort, but needs more work. Okay, so I've just, that took me two seconds to kind of just blur out or brainstorm what I need to do for feedback. And you with English, I wonder if this would have really helped you with some of your essay feedback. You know, it's funny. I was kind of doing a manual version of this and I was creating my own like comment banks 
based on previous things I had written. So I kind of developed this whole system myself of like trying to say, okay, what are the, some of the, you know, as teachers, we're doing feedback. It's like a lot of times you're writing the same comment over and over again. Yeah. So it's like, how can I then maybe like categorize these with certain issues that my students are having, say thesis statements or certain paragraph structure or use of language, all of that, the ways that they're analyzing. Like, so I was kind of developing these things myself over time, but I like the way that you framed it as like an assistant with this idea that yeah. it's just kind of like an assistive technology that kind of gets you started or gives you some of that language even just gives you a container to start putting the ideas in and then the that input that you mentioned and then seeing how it comes out and then you having the ability to tweak it and adjust it and save it and build on it from there. I think it's that that remixing and customization and personalization is really kind of where you take it to the next level and integrating it to your practice. When you think about it as an assistant, it makes a lot of sense because if you did have a teaching assistant, which you all should, everyone, we all deserve an assistant. I mean, like personal assistant. Every teacher gets their own dedicated assistant. Yeah. Can we do that right now? Wave the wand. I mean, we can't, but we can give them chat GPT. So I feel like that's a close second. Yes. But if your assistant was writing, if you said to your assistant, hey, you know, I need a bank of report card comments. Some of them need to be positive. Some of them actually are like not negative, but critical or like providing extra support. And then some are sort of neutral. Your assistant would take a first stab at it. And then you would probably give them feedback like, no, that needs to be even more positive. Or I really need this to to add in this type of a tone, more friendly. And then they would go back and take another stab at it. And it's the same with ChatGPT. It is predictive text at its very basic. So it is taking what you've put in as an input and it is guessing at what kind of an output you're looking for. And so the better you can format your input and the better you can provide feedback, the better the output. And I think, sorry, I'm going to get on my soapbox because this was totally my thing when I was in the classroom. It's like, I think we need to teach kids this too. It's like, you could use this tool and you could just be like, write my report card comments for me and it'll spit something out, but it's not going to be intentional unless you are intentional about the input you're putting in, the feedback you're giving. So let's see, let's see what they gave me. Oh my gosh, it's like a lot. This is what chat GPT gave me to, in response to what I put in earlier. Here are some report card comments for a fifth grade student who needs to work on math facts, using manipulatives and putting in good effort. It says, student's name has shown good effort in math class, but needs to work on improving their math facts. I recommend practicing math facts regularly to build a stronger foundation for future math concepts. And then it gives me some alternatives that have a different tone. Student's name is making progress in math, but would benefit from using manipulatives to better understand mathematical concepts. I suggest incorporating manipulatives into math practice at home to reinforce classroom learning. I mean, think if I now have a bank of those comments at my disposal with various tones and various pieces of feedback, I'm now able to give a more meaningful piece of feedback with maybe some better suggestions than me having to kind of sit there and think through all the different variations. It can still be personalized. It just kind of takes that load off a little bit like an assistant would. Yeah, it's the feeling of the blank page, right? Who hasn't had that feeling? Whether, I mean, I get flashbacks to when I was in school and you have that blank document and the assignment staring in front of you. But I think teachers get that too. We all get that, right? When you're getting started with something. So to have that initial run at it, I think is useful. But what really stands out to me is the layer of personalization is what's key in adding that. And that's what the machine learning can't replace, right? And so you have this, we can we can create structures and in Pop PD, we have a great resource that Alyssa will talk about in a little bit 
um, where we kind of started to give some ideas of how you could create some good inputs for chat GPT and use it in your practice. So that's great, right? You have some ideas of, okay, here's how I could use this. What that machine will never have is the relationship and the connection that you have with your students. And so it's really then being thoughtful about, okay, how am I not only creating relationships, but then recording and having great information then to use in addition to that work that the machine was able to kind of kickstart for me. I can then now go into my notes or just sit down and reflect on my relationship with a particular student. Say that student, Alyssa, that you're talking about, who's having a hard time with those math facts. And I can add an example of a time I worked with that student, add a win that they had the other day. But then also I can make note of the way that they're reacting, that they're showing me that they're frustrated. And I can insert those personal examples that only I'm going to be able to pull out because I'm their teacher. But I can complement that with some of that work and structure that's been provided for me. I I think that that idea of layering you know, the baseline structure with that personal touch is where you get the real power of these tools. And that's, I think, where it comes back to being that forward thinking is how can I utilize this new technology, these new tools, but then still have have them be my own and make them my own. To me, it's that combination is what's really powerful. I've heard different people in the AI space compare it to a calculator. It's Mm. like, this is how it must have felt when the calculator came out. Isn't this cheating? And in some ways it is giving you a shortcut, but there's nothing to replace like your actual thinking. You still have to have knowledge of the concepts behind what you're putting into the calculator. It can just get you there faster. And maybe in some ways, not more, well, with a calculator more accurately, with ChatGPT maybe in a better, more concise way, certainly for me who tends to be wordy, but you have to kind of have the knowledge and the the thinking to put behind it. But that's not everyone's belief. I do want to bring up an alternate perspective, especially because we're saying that on this podcast, we learn and grow through discussions. We've been talking a ton on our platforms about ChatGPT because we're super excited about the time it can save all of you. We also put together a resource that is amazing. It's a giant, basically, bank of prompts you can use for different things like writing emails to parents, feedback on report cards, writing rubrics, generating reading passages, generating math problems. And we've already put together all of the prompts for you. So all you need to do is maybe tweak them a little bit for your particular circumstance, pop them into ChatGPT and get the results. And it also comes with a whole guide explaining what ChatGPT is and how to use it for yourself and with your students. Uh, But we did get some pushback on our social media page, on our Instagram page. And I wanted to bring this up here because we really respect this perspective and would love to create discussion, not just with the two of us, but with our community around this. Ms. Bryant said on our Instagram page, how can I convince students this resource, meaning ChatGPT, destroys critical thinking and promotes academic dishonesty when educators are using it for shortcuts? And this is a really, really interesting point. And there's a lot of debate going on around how this tool could be used with students. And if we are using it to help us in our jobs to save time, are we allowing students to do the same? And can we have one without the other or can we have both? And um, I, I certainly have my perspective on this. I'd be curious to hear about yours, Megan. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that for me, and this is something I came up even before ChatGPT, again, as a high school English teacher, came up against a lot with this this concept of academic integrity and really encouraging students to create their own work when there's a lot of work out there on the internet that can be created, you know, not even just by AI and machine learning, but you can hire somebody on the internet to write your essay and things like that. For me, it really comes down to 
well, first of all, the technology exists, right? And I think we do we do students a disservice by pretending it doesn't, right? To just kind of either ignore or pretend like that ChatGPT has the capability of writing things for you, I think is is tough. We need to be able to talk with students about that and acknowledge that it exists, but then kind of unearth some of these, like why would it be problematic to just have it write an essay for you and pretend that that's your own work? Not only the having it write the essay for you, but then essentially lying or misrepresenting that that is your own work. That's one layer of it. But there's also this idea of, well, how can we think more, like what is the learning opportunity there? How can we look at this tool and say, how can we use this tool to get students to think more critically. We can even pose this to them, right? All right, great. If I'm asking you to write an essay on Macbeth, and I know that you could kind of just type in the prompt and it would spit something out. I will say I've read the ChatGPT essays on Macbeth. Not good. Not great. Getting better though by the day. So <laughs> there's reason to be scared. <laughs> but the question is then, could we get students to critique what ChatGPT writes? Is this a good essay, guys? What do you think? Why do you think it's good? Or why is it not good? I don't think it's good. Why is that? Where, where could we make it better? Where could we insert a quote? Where could we use better language? Where could we strengthen a thesis statement? I think there's a level of, we don't quite know how this tool is going to impact things long-term, right? Maybe it becomes the calculator of, of the next generation. But I think there's an opportunity to look at it, talk to students about it, and have like a discussion almost like as peers, as thinking like this tool could change all of our lives. How do we feel about that? And how could we use our brains to make it even better, to change it, to challenge it, to incorporate it into the way that we all work. I think that's students and teachers alike. And I think it challenges educators and parents and humans in general to think about what are ways that we bring our unique style of critical thinking? What are we, how can we ask questions? How can we combine ideas in ways that might utilize this kind of technology, but also still have that personal touch, right? It kind of goes back to what I was saying before about that level of connection with students. Um, a machine is never going to know your students as well as you do. Can we kind of think about it in the same way when we're applying it to the different contexts and subjects that we're exploring as well? I think there's an opportunity there. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think this discussion is going to be ongoing as machine learning changes and gets more refined and, and learns more, right? And it's certainly the way of the future and so how do we talk? I love the way that you talked about talking with students and you taught at the high school and college level. I taught fifth graders and I still really believed in, in talking to them about technology explicitly. So we, I'm just laughing because I talk about this all the time. I was really big on podcasting with students and I would teach them like, this is the rewind 30 seconds button. And you would use this if you just listened to a part and you wanted to hear it again, or you listened to a part and you found that you tuned out. You're going to hit that button. So it's like this explicit teaching of how to utilize the technology in the best way. They could be really powerful. I was using not ChatGPT, but another AI tool with my son yesterday, actually. He's in kindergarten and it's on Canva. You go to, I think you go to apps and then there's the AI tool, which is it takes text that you put in and it turns it into a unique image. So not an image that someone else came up with or not an image it found on the internet, but an image it actually created based on what you wrote. It's so cool. So interesting. Yeah. My son loves to like, he has the best imagination. So he loves to give it these random prompts and see what it comes up with. And we were working on it last night and he put something in like he wanted a creepy heart and it came out with a heart that didn't look creepy at all. It did have some other things. He was like, I want it to be a creepy heart with a smile with square teeth. And so the smile and the square teeth look fine, but 
we're looking at the results, the output, right? And then so I'm saying things to him like, which one of these is the closest match to what you were seeing in your brain? And he kind of says, well, this one does have the smile, but it doesn't look creepy. So then we were able to take it another to another layer and say like, well, what does creepy really mean? What do you mean by creepy? And then he was like, well, I mean, it's like long and thin. And and so we changed creepy in the input to long and thin. And then we hit enter. And then we see like, you know, what's the output now? And so he was able to be critical in his use of the AI tool as a kindergartner to be able to just kind of shift and change how he's using the tool and the output he's getting. I just think that's really powerful. And we know from working in ed tech, like that is a core essential component for any technology career. Uh, so hopefully someday he'll be an amazing like coding genius thanks to this AI activity. I think the underlying thread there, and it's a really cool example you just shared, that it really kind of applies at any age. The underlying thread is that level of thoughtfulness, reflection, intentionality. And that's what we kind of started this podcast talking about, right? Like we talked about our interest and experience as, but we thought forward-thinking teachers, those teachers who are extra. I think when it comes down to it, it's that level of reflection, the willingness to take a look at and be critical about something that you're doing, trying, learning about, and being open to exploring it. And I think even when we have these tools, like what you were just describing with him is he had to be really thoughtful about what those inputs were. He had to think a little bit harder about the words he was using and how he was choosing language to communicate. That's valuable in using that chat GPT tool. That's valuable when he's communicating to his little brother later in the night when he's frustrated with him. Communicating is a nice way of putting it. Yes, right. (laughs) That's valuable on so many levels. And so I think that that's to me is kind of the common thread of this conversation is when we're thinking about being forward-thinking teachers, about teaching with passion, with purpose, in using new tech tools, in trying new things, it all comes down to having that ability to stop and think and the ways in which that can make us better. Obviously, there are things that we're going to keep in our back pocket and use over and over again, but being confronted with something new and different is what can kind of challenge you to think, like, is this the right way? Is this the best way? Or maybe it even affirms what you already know, but giving you the opportunity to think more carefully, I think is always a good thing. In the realm of teaching, where you're faced with so many different challenges, students and their social and emotional needs, with your career and your job and administration and dealing with all of the all of the things that can be tough about working in a school with other people and then just building your own practice. I think that it's hard and it's hard to kind of be assessing and reevaluating, but leaning into that, I know at least I can speak for myself and I, I think I can speak for you too, is that is what keeps it interesting and exciting and is really, I think, at the core of what, for me, teaching was all about. And that is extracurricular. I think that was a really great way to wrap this episode up is we kind of came full circle there. So just to kind of get you excited about future episodes before we end this one, we're going to have a lot of amazing educators on here to share their strategies with you that they're using in classrooms today. So if you feel like being a little extra, you could give it a listen and give some of the strategies a try and let us know how it goes. And again, we're the founders of Pop PD. We kind of shifted from teaching into ed tech and we're building a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. That's why we're here. We love learning from all of you and we love connecting you around learning experiences. And if you want to grab that chat GPT 
guide and prompt guide. I will put that in the show notes so that you can grab the link easily. You can check us out at poppd.co. We're also poppd.co on Instagram. Would love to hear from you. Would especially love to hear if you've ever received pushback on your forward thinking ideas and and how you overcame that. Uh, We would just love to hear your story. So we're glad you're here. We hope to see you in the next episode and we'll be right back here with an educator that you're going to absolutely love hearing from. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, everybody. See you guys next time. Bye. If you've ever been required to attend a PD that had nothing to do with your subject area or that was taught by someone who hasn't stepped foot in a classroom, you understand the mission behind our peer learning platform, PopPD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported. Check out our beta platform now at poppd.co and stay tuned as we build our platform into the knowledge hub you've been waiting for.